I'm Brandon Bartnick, and this is the Future of Mobility Podcast. The Future of Mobility Podcast is focused on the pursuit of safe, sustainable, effective, and accessible transportation of goods and people. Given the critical nature of the world's climate and energy needs, these topics have never been more important, and they're certainly important to me. So, this podcast is a weekly interview series in which I learn from and put the spotlight on the people helping to develop and implement the technology required to move us forward. Who am I? As mentioned, my name is Brandon Bartnick, and I'm an engineer who realized that making a positive impact is the most important thing to me, both through this podcast and my career in the industry. If you're passionate about any of the topics I cover here, please feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'd love to connect. Also, if you hear anything you like, please consider sharing the future mobility with a friend or colleague. This podcast is brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. Technology innovation is great, but it doesn't mean anything if we can't bring our impactful products to life, which means we have to build them. And unfortunately, that's easier said than done, especially for startups and evolving companies that need a reliable option for low volume builds. That's where we come in. Edison is your turnkey manufacturing partner, specializing in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of 10 to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you need a trusted manufacturing partner, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to reach out to me directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or by visiting my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Now to this week's episode. Another special episode, this time the third most popular episode of 2022, an interview with Doran Frankel, CEO of Drives. I've left in the intro from from when the uh, episode originally aired, so you'll get some background. Really interesting, I guess, two things. One, this comes from January 9th this this year, so one of the first episodes of the year. Uh, If you haven't listened, take take a listen. It's uh, an interesting topic also. So now looking, number four was terawatt. Now we're talking Drives. They're both EV charging infrastructure plays, which and curious that those are two of the most popular episodes of the year, and I think it makes a lot of sense, right? We've talked about EV technology being developed, how far we've come on the vehicle technology, but the infrastructure is a major enabler for this, for technology, for the vehicle technology actually to make the change that it's trying to make. And we these are areas where we need to see improvements if we're going to decarbonize. So... Yeah, I guess an interesting point from from Faria. We'll, we'll get into the the other intro in the episode here, and uh, yeah, enjoy this conversation and episode with Doran Frankel. Today's guest is Doran Frankel. Doran is founder and CEO of Drives. So essentially, the way I think about it, Drives is the operating system for the EV charging ecosystem. So you have operators, service providers who are providing some sort of charging solution. And hopefully, if you've been following the podcast, you realize by now there's a lot that goes into this, right? You need to get the power in the right place at the right times, be able to effectively transfer that to the vehicles, be able to yeah, realize how much you're, you're uh, transferring, be able to put together some type of charging infrastructure, um, charging that I'm talking about, um, financial payment type, type infrastructure there. Um, a lot that goes into this, and there's a need for someone a solution at the systems level who's thinking about this and providing all the pieces and, and the way to bring this together and that that's what the way i think about it, that's that's the way, what drives doing they have partnerships they're working with most if not really all, all the biggest players in the space and so we we talked about a couple of things so, so one we dove relatively deep into 
charging, um, the, the most common challenges that operators are facing and how those can be overcome, which I personally really enjoyed. Dor- Doran's obviously an expert in this space and it was fun kind of picking his brain and um, getting to a, a level of depth that I haven't previously. So really fun discussion there. And then the other part, thinking about growing a company. So, so Doran, towards the end of the interview, we, we talk about kind of the, the inspiration and why, why he's working on drives with the background that he has. There's a lot, a lot theoretically that he be, could be doing and sustainability, the purpose-driven aspect he said is you know that that's an important part for him and obviously that that speaks to me i mean that's why i'm speaking right now on this podcast that's why i have this podcast is why i do the work that i do with fev the question though often is okay how, how do you actually put that into practice and make sure that's not you know talks cheap actually building a company and living living that vision as more than a marketing tool and actually you know fo- following through is much more challenging so it was Interesting, really enjoyed getting his thoughts there. Also, just, just overall, we, we spoke a good amount about how he's thought about growing the company, how they found their niche, how they've made strategic decisions to partner, work with the the right type of people, say no to the yeah the people who not, aren't necessarily the right fit for them, at least at the time. And, and so I, I really enjoyed that. Overall, en- enjoyable discussion. I, I got, got a, lot, a lot out of this. So Please enjoy this conversation with Doran Frankel. Today I'm joined by Doran Frankel. Doran, thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure. Great being here. Yeah, this, this should be fun. So the, uh, the the greater topic of charging infrastructure and energy management, I've I've touched on here and there, but it's it's such a complicated topic with with so many different angles, and it's such an important topic that I'm I'm really looking forward to talking to an expert here and getting some of your your thoughts. So, uh, could you get us started, please, by yeah, introducing yourself and sharing a bit about what you're uh, working on with drives? Sure. So, um, I've started as an engineer. My career as an engineer, uh, hardware, software, then moved to product management, sales, and uh, and then uh, starting my own companies. Um, I've been with small companies and big companies um, and spent quite a lot of time in the telco industry. And about uh, nine years ago, I looked at the EV space and uh, at the beginning, it sounds a bit strange. Will EVs be there at all? Uh, Big question. Mm -hmm. But then I realized that if it will happen, uh, it will be huge because it can't be small. It's either huge or nothing. And if it's huge, it's a revolution. And if it's a revolution, I want to jump in. So <laughs> that's, that's how it uh, actually started. And then there was a big question on, um, okay, so where do I want to be? And the answer was simple because I came from uh, digital services platforms and software for managing large platforms from the telcos. And um, I realized that, that that part is missing in the EV charging part. So that's when I decided to jump in. And there was a big question because the question is, okay, when will that happen? And if I'm starting a company, how do I finance it so that when the market ramps up, I will have the best solution in the market? How do you do that? Uh, So it was kind of, that's how it started. And soon after I found out that it's not only one revolution, but we are in the middle of two revolutions, the mobility revolution, but also the energy revolution. So what we've developed is a platform that serves as the glue between those two worlds, those two revolutions. Yeah, it's, it's a, a great starting point for, for sure. Uh, 
maybe, maybe let's, let's and, and I know it's a, it's a bigger topic that we'll, we'll talk about, but maybe let's, let's talk about the kind of the EV charging angle to start. So one of the, one of the things that I, I think is interesting is when we, this, this is a topic that gets covered, EV charging as a general topic gets covered very, very frequently, right? It's in the, it's in the big media. There's the infrastructure plan in the U S it's been talked about for months now. It's, it's a global topic. And I, I think in a lot of people's minds, they basically think, well, how hard can it be? You get chargers at your house and you replace gas stations with charging stations and we move forward and kind of you, you swap one energy source for for another. But I think reality is more complicated than that. So, so what, can you speak to kind of what what do you think the the public kind of misses about what this revolution is going to take to get to this massive scale that you're talking about? And then how do you see us actually getting there? Sure. So a few things about that. First of all, normal in, with normal cars, what you do is you drive to fuel. With EVs, you just, fuel, you just charge where you are. So it's not just traveling somewhere. So if you charge where you are, it's at home, public, semi-public. But most of the charging is being done at either home or work. So it's about 80 or more percent of the cases. The rest is public. And then a portion of it is in gas station. So the locations are kind of changing. So if we'll take where we are now, we are in a high-tech campus. Uh, I'm in the office now. And at the entrance, there is a gas station. Most of the fueling today is in the gas stations getting into the park. There is uh, three uh, um, like towers, high-tech towers within the campus. And what's going to happen is that the future is charging at the workplace, meaning the management company of the buildings are going to be the fueling company of the future, not the gas station at the entrance. Only 3% will be staying there. Now, the challenge is, okay, so if they're doing that, do they have the capability? Who is going to manage the charging? But it's more than that. How will you have enough power? So we have uh, about three parking levels uh, uh, underground and one outside. In minus one parking, there is not enough power for EVs anymore. So what do you do? So with our solution, first of all, we decide who is charging when. We don't need to charge everyone simultaneously. So if someone belongs to a sales department, he will get more priorities. And if someone is uh, for like uh, someone that stays at work, like developer, he can charge throughout the day. So we decide when to charge, that's one thing. But the other thing is you need more power. So we connected batteries. So at night we charge the batteries and during the day we use this power for charging. And what happens is that other tenants of the building are coming and asking if they can join us because there's not enough power in the building building level. So what you see is you need to start and look at it differently. How will the grid change? How will new building uh, and facilities will cope with this change? It's a major change. All the, the power from, from no, it's not going to be only in gas stations. It con- it's going to be all spread out. So there is a big impact on the grid. I believe that if we use it properly, we'll first of all be able to manage it, but probably we'll discuss later on about how can, that, how can EVs serve as part of the entire um, power ecosystem or energy ecosystem and actually provide some balancing capabilities or even charge back the grid. So when you look at the overall situation, is it's a major change. 
you can't count now on, on gas stations. You need to charge everywhere. And at home, you may have enough power, but what if it's MDU, multi-dwelling units? Then you need to take care of that. And again, you have some power issues if you have enough power, but also how do you split the energy between the different tenants? Which meters are you going to use? So you need additional software tools to manage that all. But before we get into that, what we found out is that when you work with large networks, you see how many issues you have with the chargers. So currently we are managing tens of thousands of chargers and even more, hundreds of thousands in roaming. It's, uh, it's chargers by over 200 different suppliers or providers. And what's, what's, what we found out is that there are lots of issues with the chargers. So you need to sort that out because, you know, we talk about and we probably talk about usability. The number one thing for the drivers is to make sure that when they're coming to charge, the charger is operating. And what we found out is that we can, first of all, monitor the status and see what's going on or what's going wrong. But then we develop self-healing algorithms. So we know how to not only sense issues, but fix issues in most of the cases remotely, automatically by algorithms. And the rest is being uh, managed by remote operations. So in about 2% of the cases, you need to send, send someone to the site, which is very costly. You say but 2%? Most, yeah, about 2%. Two, two, wow. Most cases, we solve things remotely, automatically, or manually. So we, what we are inspired to is to fix things automatically in about 80% of the cases, and then the rest manually. So it's about, first of all, making sure that the charger is up and running. Then you need energy management. Then you need billing. Then you need some driver applications so the driver will be able to find the chargers, route to the charger, reserve the charger, uh, queue in front of the charger. And then you have operators. So the operators need their own tools. Beyond that, we found out that you have entire ecosystem around it. So what about the MDU uh, management company? What about the gas station owners, the fleet owners? So we developed additional software tools for those people, for those companies. So we provide tools for the drivers whenever they charge, home, public, semi-public. We provide tools to the operators that operates all those chargers remotely. And we also provide tools for the ecosystem around it so it's about MDUs, gas stations, fleets, workplaces, CNI. Okay, for instance, in a CNI is a commercial and industrial building. In this case, we develop tools that the building owners can provide tools for the tenants, so they can reserve chargers for their own employees or their own guests. So it's just delegating the responsibility to whoever wants to be delegated. So I think. Uh... Again, uh, a lot of a lot of topics that I, I want to circle back here and uh, and dig into kind of how some of this works, but maybe a a fundamental question. So you 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 meet someone on the street and they they ask you kind of okay, what what is drive? How, how do you explain in one one sentence, ten seconds, whatever? Like what what is drive? What 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 is it that you do? So we are the operating system behind EV charging. We provide end-to-end -end solution, but it's modular, so our customers can pick and choose. But it serves an end-to-end -end solution for operating EV charging management. Uh, and it's also flexible to cope with the disruption in the world. So it means that we provide the software tools for the different stakeholders as an operating system for EV charging. And how, how have you gone through, and I, and I imagine it's evolved over time, so right, if you found it in 2013, where 
the company's been around uh but how, how have you gone about deciding where to offer your service so you mentioned all these different players within this ecosystem all these different solutions that that seems like are part of this operating system that you've developed how have you decided kind of where do you focus where do you provide solutions and where, where are the things that maybe you say no that's kind of outside the scope of what we're trying to do because if you if you let it i imagine this is an infinitely growing problem where you could there's just no but there's no clear bounds unless you have a, a clear distinction for yourself so, so how do you go about that absolutely so let's start a bit about the history first we we developed the, the tools for the drivers and then we developed the operations because we wanted to make sure that the drivers are in the center. That's why it's called drives. The drivers should be at the center of all this ecosystem because if we have drivers, we have business. Mm -hmm. So we started with that and then we expanded. And what we wanted is to work also on open protocol. So it's about how we drive the protocols in the industry. And uh, one of our um, first customers, certainly uh, the first big customer was in the Netherlands. Uh, it's a company called Elad. Elad is a consortium of the utilities in the Netherlands that also invented the OCPP protocol, which is the most common protocol today between the chargers and the back office. And so we've started with them and it was initially a public network, but it was, uh, they installed the chargers near, near the homes of the users. So it was a public space, but actually uh, the drivers that used that was just the people that bought the cars and, uh, and they were entitled to get a charger near their home. And then we expanded and the second largest uh, customer was ESB, the Irish Utility Board. So we work with them uh, since 2015 in Ireland, Northern Ireland and in the UK. And uh, like the third one that Ward's mentioning is Evigo. Evigo is the largest uh, uh, fast charging network in the US. So once they selected us, it was uh, uh, late 2016, we replaced their homegrown solution to, to the drives platform, and then we enabled them the entire operations end to end. And then we expanded throughout the world. So now we operate in over 20 countries in all aspects of the, of the business. So from um, uh, residentials to, uh, to fleets, workplaces, public and semi-public. Uh, another example of a customer is a company called uh, Statcraft. Statcraft is uh, the largest uh, renewable company in Europe, um, originated in, in Norway. They have bought the uh, Vattenfall uh, EV charging activity in, uh, in the UK, and then additional two, one for fleets and one is CPO. The CPO stands for charge point operator in Germany. And then two large networks in uh, no one in Norway and one in Sweden, and everything was migrated to the drives platform to support it, working with APIs with some of their own software. And then we started to work both for being uh, for fleets and residentials and more and more. Um, we also um, uh, operate in Japan, so I think that we are the biggest in Japan now. <laughs> Uh, we announced about uh, three months ago, we had a PR about working with a company called EMP. It's a cooperation between TEPCO and Chubo. Only that, it's 27,000 chargers, public chargers. I think about 8,000 of them are, are fast chargers. So we expanded that. So where are the boundaries? We provide the software tools and we operate with third parties that provide the service, the driver service. So first level support is being the outsourced uh, and then the third level and fourth level support is being done by us. So the boundaries are, first of all, where is the service and what part of the service we provide? 
But the other thing is we wanted to work with, uh, with customers that are either the largest in each area or the ones that we believe are going to be the largest because we believe in consolidation, like, like what happened with uh, StatCraft. And so our focus is the largest one. If it's small fleet, if it's a large fleet, by all means, but if it's a small fleet of small customers, we prefer to, uh, to enable our customers to support them and then we are not competing with our customers. So our customers are large networks, uh, it's white labeled solution, and it's end-to-end, as said, with a lot of capabilities, but it's also cost-effective when you look at, uh, at the solutions that you need in the market now. And especially when the market grows, the, the challenge is how to work with the right business models to enable our customers to grow and how we grow with them. Yeah, interesting uh, interesting growth. And how, how much was this, these different areas you've grown into, how, how much was this like a big strategic plan that you had and you're like, well, here's this, here's this ecosystem, we're going to start here and we're going to grow versus how much did, my guess is that a lot of this was kind of organic based on the way that you tell the story, but uh, yeah, yeah. How, how intentional was it versus how much was this stuff coming to you during this growth journey? So um, we haven't changed the strategy from day one. So from day one, we focus on uh, the technology, the, the type of accounts um, and, and working in a cloud environment to support different customers worldwide. Uh, so we haven't changed the strategy. It evolved with the market. So it evolved with the market, same strategy. So far, we haven't changed the strategy, but uh, we, we were again and again surprised by how, fast, by how fast it grew in some locations. So for instance, uh, we started with, uh, with billing mainly in the US and then we expanded it to other locations in the world. And with energy management, it started in Europe and then we moved that also to the US. So what we saw is that there are different approaches in different places, different needs, but eventually you, you see that customer needs most of the things. Uh, and they initially they think that, you know, let's start simple, but it gets complicated. It's a really complex environment because you need to support the drivers, the chargers, the fleets, mm-hmm. the locations. Uh, it's about energy management. Now it's about roaming. It's how to connect one network to the others. All this integration and integration with legacy system becomes really uh, critical. Yeah, and these things, I mean, you mentioned a few of them earlier, like, for example, like an office building trying to figure out how do we prioritize the people who are coming in the charge and make sure that we have capacity available. So if the sales team needs a quick charge to get out back on the road, we can support them. Like it's, that's a critical part of EV adoption catching on. So, so I, I think of myself as like the, uh, probably the, the, the easiest use case. Cause I, so I live in a suburb, suburban area. I have a garage that I park in every night. Right now, I just have a plug-in hybrid, so it's not really a problem. But if, if I had a full bev, I could just get a level two charger and 95% of my needs would be met. But I, I think a lot of the people that we're t- talking about and a lot of people who are going to be adopting EVs in the coming years are going to rely on their workplace or the ability to get a fast charge certain places. And uh, if the infrastructure either isn't in place or if they can't rely on the the chart, the uptime being there and the charger working when they get there, I think that's going to be a huge hurdle for EVs to continue to, to grow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what, in your mind, what do you think about the current state of the, of the infrastructure? And I know this is a, this is a really broad question, so feel free to go wherever you want, but what, what's the current state? And then what do you think are, where do you think we, we need to go kind of as a, as a collective to, 
continue to uh, make improvements? So first of all, um, it's uh, it varies between the different countries and yeah, continents. Of yeah. There are some some locations which uh, which are growing. The EVs are growing a lot faster, and some places that uh, are different. But I think overall it's happening. So the question is not if it's when, and if it's when, then it's all over. And it means that we need to look at it as uh, something huge. Huge means work with uh, really open protocols. So one thing is to make sure that uh, uh, less proprietary kind of stuff, more protocols like uh, I'm, what I've mentioned, the OCPP for working with the chargers, um, or with roaming. So roaming, uh, is, roaming is the ability of a driver that uh, is signed up with, with one network to charge on another network. So what we see is, for instance, in uh, Europe, there are different uh, roaming uh, platforms like Hubject, Giraffe, eClearing.net. And in the U.S., for instance, U.S. didn't want to have someone in the middle. So we started by integrating Ifigo with ChargePoint with a protocol which also brought from, uh, from uh, Europe, which is called OCPI. And uh, um, so, so working with those protocols and enabling the different parties to work together, I think it's critical mm. because it's huge. And eventually the driver wants the flexibility to charge whenever they, want, they are with whoever network they want, like what you're doing with the phone today. You just move from one place to the other, you roam. So roaming here is working with different parties. So it's billing, but it's not only billing, it's also energy management and how you work that out. And especially when you are at home, you know, there's a big question about, you know, how much energy do you have at home to support that? How can you, uh, uh, how can you, charge when you know like time of use when the, the the tariffs are lower and how can it play out with the entire ecosystem energy ecosystem and probably we'll touch that as well but more than that think about uh, about other things like uh, we are working with uh, with volvo trucks so how do you charge trucks that are getting into depot and some of them arrives at 4 p.m some of them arrives at 6 p.m all of them need to be charged in the morning who will get energy first what if one, one um, vehicle arrives later or you have an issue with the charges? You need replanning. So planning the amount of power and managing that is critical. The other could, thing is, yeah. Uh, sorry to cut you off, but could, could we talk, could we dive deeper into kind of one specific example, like the, like the, the truck depot, I think is an interesting, like how, how, would, how do you or your, your team go about trying to solve that and put a solution in place for dealing with these situations and all the variables that take place? So first of all, we, uh, we know how to connect to the fleet management. So we know the arrival time and departure time. And sometimes it's through loggers within the vehicle. Sometimes it's uh, through other cloud environment that we get the information. So we know when to expect the car to come in. We also know the plan uh, a day ahead. So we know how much energy the vehicle will need the day after. So our task is to make sure that we have enough energy to all the trucks within this limited amount of time. Uh, we need to make sure that there is enough power. We need to make sure that each one of them is, is uh, charging at the right moment. But also, if there is some issue with the charger, we need to replan and make sure that, it's that, that still they have enough energy for the next day or some of the trucks that doesn't have need all the energy the day after will charge less. So we need to balance it and, and, and calculate that all the time. How and much safety we'll... factor do you throw out, throw on those calculations? So like 
I, I don't know, you, you can make a calculation that a truck it's going to have a hundred kilometer drive the next day, but what if it ends up being 20 degrees colder than, than expected? Or what if they get in the traffic jam and then they have to reroute and do, do so, you plan so for a hundred or yeah, go ahead. But it's also, it, it's actually prioritization. Now, normally you have, you are planning to have enough energy so they won't suffer. If there are some cases of real issues, then you need to balance it. And then you need to send notification to the fleet manager and for the drivers. But the other thing is we send notifications to whoever needs to get notifications. So if a car will not be charged on time or something goes wrong, you don't need to stand as a fleet manager in front of the screen all the time. You will get a notification. So we'll try to solve it by ourselves, but if not, you will know, and then you'll be able to do something with it on time. So it's real-time activity to make sure that the vehicle is already on time. And by the way, that's the difference between, uh, between fleets and other activities because for fleet managers, it's not about the charging and charger stability. It's about the vehicles and the ability to, of the vehicles to be ready on time because otherwise you lose a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And if we get into that, there are two stakeholders around fleet. It's the fleet manager, but also the facility manager. The facility manager needs to make sure that they have enough energy or that they bought the right package of energy to the site. Sometimes it's the same person, but what we have developed are different tools to cope with that. It's automatic, easy to use, and it serves them in a way that will make sure that each one of the stakeholders knows what he needs to know, gets the statistics, but also automation. And maybe to touch about that, when you talk about scalability, because what we see is the networks are growing rapidly and you see more and more issues with uh, different networks that can't cope with the scale. So what we do beyond you know, the cloud environment and the architecture to grow, we delegate responsibility. So growing is growing with the network, the sizing, the amount of transactions that you can cope with, but also coping with the, the, the serviceability. So what, what you want to do is if you have a driver, you want to delegate everything that you can to the driver. For instance, if my wife is going to charge and she forgot her RFID card, she can call the call center, but she prefers to call me. And then I can remotely charge it for her. So she is happy. Okay. The operator is happy about me. No, I'm good. <laughs> but uh, the thing is to delegate the service. So delegating the service to uh, like in a, a CNI building, commercial industrial building, to delegate the responsibility to the secretary of the tenant instead of the operator for a fleet manager to the secretary, not for them to reschedule or to schedule the, the thing. So I'll give you another example. When I'm charging my vehicle in the morning, in the, in the office, I tend to forget to start the charge because there is a phone call, my, I don't know, my mind is distracted. And then day after day, I had issues with the car is not charged. Today, the app is actually guiding me and saying, hey, you were supposed to charge or not charging. And it's also send a message to my secretary and she knows how to fix that automatically. So actually I feel protected. It's by technology, by moving this responsibility to the system to do it by itself. Interesting, yeah. So uh, again, scalability is a major issue. We see that with many networks now. Mm -hmm. Um, If you look at the amount of of charging, it's like in telcos. In the telcos uh, time, when I was there, uh, early 2000, 
if there's a big question, what's the right business model? Who is going to finance the antennas? Like who is going to finance the charges? Who is going to support it all? And the growth was like amazing. So now we need to see how we grow from, uh, from tens of thousands to hundreds of thousands to millions. And we already have around a million drivers on the platform. So you see how it grows and it grows quite extensively. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to. So, so really interesting topic, and it's uh, yeah, it's, it's cool to hear how you guys are approaching this and all, all the different things you're thinking about and providing services and the different scenarios, all, all that, all that type of stuff. I, I'd like to transition a little bit though and talk about kind of the, the greater energy management ecosystem and how how what we're talking about now, EV charging, potentially can help integrate and possibly even improve what that the energy management ecosystem. So we've touched on. A few things so far, right? You've talked about the, the auxiliary battery packs that you have on on site here. We've, we've you, you hinted at vehicle to grid. I think there's a, a lot of interesting software stuff that that could be uh, come into play here. Okay, can you just talk kind of from your perspective? Where do you think the the biggest benefit, um, or where do you think the angles, the areas are where we, we can potentially realize the greatest energy energy management benefit as we're ramping up for um, EV charging and all of this. Sure. So let's start with the challenges. Let, sure. Then let's yeah, sure. the benefits to the to the entire um, power ecosystem. So f- first of all, the first challenge is charging the the vehicles on site. Whether you have enough power. So site level limitation is the number one thing that we want to cope with. Like what mm-hmm. we have in our garage. It means that if you don't have enough power, you need tools to decide who will charge when it will charge, which vehicle will get priority because it's about prioritization. So one thing is about how to prioritize it. And then if you don't have enough energy after you prioritize, you need to add either renewables or batteries or any other means or extend the the grid. And then you need to make sure that the breakers are fine, everything is fine around it. Otherwise you'll find yourself in a a mess because the drivers won't be happy if the cars are not charged and uh, the parking lot manager will not be happy if, uh, if the breaker jumped and all his parking lot is now doesn't have power. So you need to see how you balance that. That's the first thing. Second thing is it's uh, looking at the other side of the generation. So from generation perspective, the TSO and the DSOs, all this chain of, uh, so TSOs is the high power transmission from after generation and DSO is the distribution network. For, the, for what we call the grid. When they're looking at how they plan the energy, what they're looking for is on the amount of energy that they have, especially if they're using renewables. And now if they're doing that, then they have different um, issues with, when the, with, with the energy consumption. Uh, we know the duck curve and any other curve. So when you have a peak usage, you don't want that the EVs will charge right now. You prefer that they will charge in an off-peak. So then it's deciding how do you balance it. Now, if you have a lot of vehicles, then it's a challenge. So if you want to balance it, you need to know when to charge. It gets back to the driver. What about the driver? He wants the energy whenever he wants the energy. So then we started to use AIs, uh, artificial intelligence, in order to understand What's the profiles of usage of the drivers of the site and when can we reduce drop energy? In some cases, we get a request 16 hours ahead of time for the next 24 hours and with some curve and we need to commit to the curve if we want to monetize it. So it's about how do you look at large scale usage of EVs 
when you connect that to, uh, to the grid or, for, or to generation. So you need some feed. Now you can balance other home charging. It can be a residential, MDUs or, uh, or depots. You can't balance public charging because in public charging, people don't care. They just need to charge. Yeah. So you need to see when can we balance it. And then we need algorithms to make sure that we know how to balance it, not only in a parking lot level. So it's the charger level, the parking lot level, the campus level and beyond. And we need to look at all this architecture and manage it all. Now it gets back to vehicle to grid. So vehicle to grid, it's a, it's a great story. I really love it because, you know, think about it. You can use a lot of the batteries and the drivers can make money out of their vehicles. So instead of paying, you can get money. So you look at a huge amount of batteries that can balance everything. First of all, it will take a bit of time until we'll have the right batteries so that it will be commercially viable. Uh, second thing, you get back away again to the AI. If I'm now asking you and I'm saying, Brandon, hey, I need some energy from you. <laughs> Come on, I need my energy. And you know, I don't know you that well right now. So um, I'm not going to get to give you any energy. But then I'll tell you, you know, I'll pay. I'll pay you. You still say, you know, I don't want to. Only if I know that you don't need the energy right now. And then I'll pay you enough. You will be willing to participate in this vehicle to grid. So beyond the batteries and responsibility on the batteries and insurance and stuff like that, it's about decision of when to charge, when to take the energy back, when when to charge. Mm-hmm. Isn't and and beyond that, it's it can work for being commercially viable. You need to work in large scale. It gets back again to AI. When can I take energy? When do I need to provide energy? How do I commit to the different stakeholders and who gain from that? How, how did the uh, how do you envision the, the commercial aspects working? So in, in my mind, as you're talking, the kind of the first place I go to is kind of this this surge pricing model that that Uber has for for both the gener or the the draw from the grid and then also the sale to the grid. So it's, theoretically, it it seems like you know I have whether it's personal use or a depot or whatever. Yeah, we we don't we don't want to incentivize people to be charging on the peak. So if you need the charge on the peak, you you probably should pay for it and you should pay significantly more than if you're charging on the, on the off peak times. Similarly, I have to imagine there are times when, yeah, maybe the grid doesn't need any more energy. It's got, it's producing plenty, the draw isn't, so there isn't a ton of value for me to come home and plug in and, and feed back to the grid. But there are other times when you're strapped and you really could use that. And it seems to make sense to incentivize the the individuals or the, the depots or whatever to, to sell back. How do you picture that commercial picture uh, coming together? So first of all, you need the infrastructure. So you need to work with protocols like OpenADR and get information from the grid about how much energy you have and how much energy you don't have and then to play with that. And the second thing is from commercial reasons, it's either you start to work with fleets that has enough power to share and, and to be able to monetize it. And then also at homes and, and residential drivers. And we see that uh, the business model around that exists. Still not in the scale that we would like it to be, but you start to see that those experiments kind of work well. But you need to, you need to, to be able to have connection between the driver usage needs and the, and the needs of the drivers and the grid needs. And you need to balance it by, first of all, commercializing it making sure that you can commit on the amount of power that you can either use 
or not using a certain amount of time, then you have enough energy from the balancing party to share with the drivers and the different stakeholders in the way. And to what degree does this data already exist? So do, and I know, I'm sure the answer is it varies depending on the, the region and, and how the grid setup and all that type of stuff. But like, is it for the most part that my, my uh, utility provider, Detroit Edison or whatever at my house, uh, they, they have the information for what their, what their current state is and what it's likely to be over the next 24 hours. And they just need some way to draw the information from the consumers to figure out the consumer needs or what, what, what does that current state look like? So the utility knows how much energy they have uh, and they're looking to see how they can balance things. Uh, as for the connection to the vehicles, it's more kind of in many cases, pilots as opposed to mm-hmm. widespread commercial activity. In some locations, like California, you see kind of a larger pilots of thousands, but uh, normally it's, uh, it's smaller. The utility side knows when they have power and how much they have. The vehicle side is not yet connected. What you see with balancing, which is called uh, DER, demand response, you see that uh, heating and cooling is the number one right now. I expect that uh, the EVs will be a dominant part around that, but when you have enough vehicles. So there are not enough vehicles right now. Yeah. It's not a sustainable model, but it, it's growing dramatically. So I expect that in the next uh, several years, so I, the expectations is that, is that around 2025, the cost of, uh, of uh, like uh, the, the EVs and normal combustion engine vehicles will equal, and then we'll see kind of growth and then a jump. So we need to be ready until then. And if you look at uh, utility timeline, it's not a lot of time. <laughs> so the players yeah. are going to be established in the next year or so in order to be there ready when the market uh, ramps up. So and so, so it sounds like right now, I mean, the, the projecting a decent weather forecast does a pretty good job for the, uh, <laughs> the utility team to realize what their demand is going to look like over the, the coming days. But yeah, that, that'll change as uh, electrified vehicle adoption. And if I, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but is it just the, the Ford Lightning right now that has V to G or vehicle to grid capabilities? Or I can't remember what on the, how many vehicles on the market currently have that capability to feed data back or feed energy back? So it started with some of the Japanese uh, companies because okay. in Japan after Fukushima, uh, the, the drivers wanted the ability to charge back their homes. And then it expanded to some of the vehicles but it's just a start. You know, there, there are different protocols, like uh, I'm not sure that you are aware of uh, something called ISO 1518, the plug and charge protocol. It's the ability to just plug the car and start charging. So the vehicle talks with the, with, mm-hmm. um, the charger, the charger talks with the back office, and you don't need any RFID or an app just to start the charge. So we see that those kind of uh, interfaces are, uh, expanding and you see more vehicles that are planning to come with this interface. And then it gets again into some of the uh, vehicle to grid activity at home, mostly a uh, connection between the home and, and the chargers and the vehicles. But still the, the protocols are, growing, are, are improving. The vehicles need to support it. Not all mm-hmm. of them support it right now, but you see the amount of vehicles now that has the, that, like the amount of EVs in the market is growing dramatically but also the most innovative uh, kind of solutions are getting uh, better and you have, you see more providers that are working with it. So for us, it's most cases, it's experimental. 
you see that Nissan is really involved with this, with this kind of thing. Um, so you see more vehicle manufacturers are interested in that. Still, the business models are evolving. And eventually, it will go into a different business model that not necessarily you will pay to energy as you are doing today. But balancing becomes more and more of an issue. Yeah, let's, uh, let's tie this back to the clearly to the sustainability topic so so what, what we've ta- been talking about the EV charging infrastructure the the energy management power management needs it ob- obviously interesting from a commercial aspect there's a lot of technical um, areas that are interesting we we're talking right this is a critical part to ad- improve EV adoption which generally positive thing there's this question when maybe this is where we'll talk there's question now of depending on where you are so like for example me in the Detroit area right now not the cleanest grid necessarily. So I personally think for my my use, the, the plug-in hybrid was the more sustainable option for me because I don't drive that much and I don't need a 100 kilowatt hour battery pack and charge it on coal powered uh, energy or whatever. But uh, but well, all that we're talking about here, I think plays a critical role in improving and allowing us to continue to improve the cleanliness of the of the grid, right? So not having not having energy demand on peak times, which is the times when we're, most likely to rely on coal or, or whatever other unsustainable uh, power generation fact is critical. And um, but but I guess you, you know you know the space much better than I. Can you speak to just how how important figuring these problems are to allowing us to clean up our electrical grid around the world? Yeah, I know. I'll start maybe um, about a week ago. We had uh, a party in the office with the kids of the employees. And we, uh, we started thinking, you know, some of them are um, kids uh, early, uh, no, um, like uh, at a kindergarten or like they're starting to get into school and realizing things. Some of them are grown up. And we raised the question about the planet. Everyone cares about the planet. So I think that, you know, if you look at your um, children, maybe grandchildren, they mm-hmm. won't understand how we did that to the planet. Now, and that's what they ask. How can adults do that? How can we destroy the planet? And when I'm uh, you know, starting the day, I always look at the window over here and you see the mountains and you see kind of the ugliness of this kind of pollution behind it. And then I'm saying, you know what? We can drop that dramatically. And we need to do that for our kids. So it's about the vehicles that we drive, but it's also the energy that we provide or we generate. So mm-hmm. pollution needs to drop. We are impacting our planet dramatically. We see that all over. I feel that as a personal responsibility and everyone here in drives really cares to make a change. So we are looking at one hand on how to support the drivers, how to make sure that they can get from one place to the other safely with enough energy. On the other hand, it's how do you balance all of it? And you balance it by looking and understanding the behavior of the EVs and the charging, understanding the scale and the scalability that is getting into the market, and then linking that back to, uh, to the grid and, and, to gener- and to the generation. And if I get back to a company like Satcraft, think about it. it's an energy company that are now providing EV charging, and they have the, 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 like the renewable generation capacity to support the EV charging, but also to use those vehicles as a balancing tool to the companies that they have, the gen- that, that generates the energy. So it plays out together. 
So some of our customers are utilities, some of them gas and oil companies, some of them um, um, OEMs, automakers, some of them fleets, but all of them cares about how to make a change to the environment. So for instance, in EVgo, all the, um, all the power to EVgo's network is green power that gets into the charging. Now, I think that in the future, we'll be able to see also how you can support back the grid and balance it better in a way that, uh, that will improve the overall uh, pollution and emissions. And the other thing I think is that if you see now a dark curve or a shower curve, the curves are going to change, especially when you get more and more EVs. So balancing will be more critical and more complex on you know, when to do it, how to do it, how to monetize it. And I think that that's part of the challenge of the future is how to monetize, how to create business models around it. But if we'll go back and where it starts, it starts by making sure that the EV charging is easy to use and it's stable and there are not issues that the drivers can go and charge. That the drivers can find the charges easily in safe locations. It's about the infrastructure that you have. Then you need to support it by billing. Someone needs to pay the different Companies around that need to make money and expand the usage. And then you get into energy management. So it's kind of different pieces of a puzzle. And if I look at the puzzle, what I would like to inspire is to change the term. Um, like uh, when you look at the climate change, you look at it as a negative thing. I would like to look at it as like of climate recharge. Let's charge back our climate. Let's use what we can from technology perspective to care and make sure that we are balancing things as opposed to using it without caring about the environment. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, a clever way to put it. And yeah, I think all, all that you said may, makes sense. Uh, so I guess we'll, a quick, uh, quick little left turn question here that I, I like to ask all my guests. So we, we were talking before we started recording. So your, your last name, Frankel, right, is tied in one of my, the author of one of my favorite books, which is Man's Search for Meaning by, by Victor Frankel. Um, the... I'd like to get your, your thoughts. So, uh, like I said, I like to ask every every guest, what's what's a favorite book of yours, or a few a few books that, uh, whether it's personal or, or professional, that you've you've read and that has a significant has had a significant impact on you. Um, first of all, I like to read, but if I look at impact, I think that uh, first one would probably be uh, Guns, Gems, and Steel. Mm-hmm. If you know the book, I think, but. Uh, uh, Diamond Jared, I think it's about uh, the fates of human societies and therefore how people evolve throughout time. So that that did an effect of me or how you know how we evolved throughout time. Another another part which is totally different direction is um, uh, the Celestine prophecy, if you know that, by James Redfield. No, it's kind of more of a journey book. It's combination of uh, spiritual, psychological kind of a journey. In, uh, in South America, which I like to see, you know, how from philosophical res- uh, perspective, people think and get into insights. So it's about kind of insights, uh, which, uh, which I still remember, it's, I read it many years ago. And I like to combine that with real life uh, things, something closer to our environment, and I'm in the high-tech environment. So there's uh, a friend of mine, his name is Avi Domoshevitsky, he has uh, three bestsellers in Amazon around, um, it's kind of tri- thrillers and novel around uh, the high-tech industry. It's kind of fiction about uh, what happens in the high-tech industry. He has one book about 
the cyber kind of uh, of a company and how to create a cyber company what's going on between the board and the company and all these kind of complex in uh, environment of how you create things but have people that has a lot of incentives around them so it's combination between uh, kind of where our society how our society evolves the kind of spiritual things and how we experience people on our daily life yeah thanks I, nice uh Nice broad broad mix there. Could, could you actually? And I'm sorry, I didn't catch the directly the, the name of the second book, the one uh, that kind of the, the journey book in South America. Could you repeat it's the a name? Celestine Prophecy uh, by James Redfield. Gotcha. Th- thank you. Yeah, I'll have to look that one up for sure. After uh, after this. Well, well, yeah. I, I think Doran, I really, really haven't enjoyed this discussion. I think uh, this. I mean, I, I'm in the space of, of electrified vehicles, but I, I certainly I haven't uh, haven't, and I, I've been thinking about the, the grid and all, all this. And if you go back, that I think I don't know, probably had five podcasts or so now talking about different aspects of electrical or energy generation and grid and charging infrastructure and stuff. But I think you, you've raised a lot of points here that definitely have me me, me thinking. And it's uh, yeah, it's it's good to hear that you and, and drives are, are working on this this problem and it it does seem like uh it's critical that there's a company that's able to come in and understand all of the different pieces because this is such a multivariable challenge right it's it's not just plug in throw chargers all over the place and we're going to be good it's no they everything needs to work together and we need to rethink like this entire ecosystem to some extent if we're going to have the impact that we want to have um so yeah, I guess I'd open the floor. I got a couple minutes left. Is there anything anything we missed or that you were hoping to talk about? And if not, anything that you would uh, hope that someone listening to this uh, takes away from the conversation? Yeah, first of all, thank you so much. Uh, it's real pleasure. I think that the number one thing is think about uh, how can we impact the life of our kids and keep the planet in parallel to us making money. I like making money. All of us may, likes to make money. But I think that if we focus our uh, thoughts, we can make money, but also do good things for the planet. The other thing is about collaboration. We need to understand that growing an industry like where we are, it's about people and how we cooperate, more standards, more kind of uh, companies working together to create it into, in a way that will really create this change because I think that we are lucky to be in a place where we can touch two revolutions in parallel and make such an impact. So yeah. I am welcoming people to join this revolution. Uh, talk to us, join this kind of a battle to save, uh, to save Earth. It sounds kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, it sounds strange but, or even childish, but you know, we are doing it. So uh, after almost a decade, we see that there is a big impact. So, uh, you know, what I think is we should inspire to make this change. And I feel lucky to be in this industry and, and to impact. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great note. And I, I, I do have to ask one follow-up question. So, so about the, uh, what you said on the pro- profitability versus impact. So I think a, a lot of companies, a lot of, a lot of leaders of companies, speak about being you know purpose driven and kind of going after this this deeper objective within profitability following e- easier to say than it is to actually implement it into practice so so as the leader of of a company how how and i, I don't know if there's a, a simple answer here but how, how do you try to balance that and actually live out that that um 
that kind of model? Is it like when, when, when new opportunities are coming up and there's businesses that you can go after customers that you could talk to, how, how do you try to balance thinking about, yeah, will this make money for me versus will it have the impact and also allow me to make enough money to keep working or like, how do you do that? So first of all, uh, from a strategy point of view for us is to manage as many charges, as many drivers in order to manage as much energy as we can. So by definition, we think about energy when we start to get into a deal. Uh, and, and what we are trying to do is to provide the tools to our customers to make the change. So in some cases, uh, not all our customers are looking at the energy aspects of things and we bring them tools to enable them to do so. So you, know, you can't just start by, by doing like, like making the world nicer. It's not a mission for all of us, but it's something that if it connects to a vision, it's a lot easier to provide the solutions, to sell, and also to get passionate people around you, both yes. from the drives team and our customers. So it's combining the passion to a way to make a change and throughout that making money. Uh, and the other thing is to create the right business model that will enable you to do so. That's why we choose to work with large corporates that we can provide the specific tools for them uh, that can make the change. And then they can support the smaller, uh, uh, the smaller fleets or the smaller providers based on the same platform. So it's that if you think, like what I believe, that if you think about it and create the right business model and the right technology, combine it all together, it just works out. Yeah, it, it makes makes a lot of sense. So, so like I said, Doran, it really has been a pleasure. Appreciate you coming on, and uh, yeah, nice to nice to virtually meet you here and have the chance to talk. Thank you so much, Brandon. It was really a pleasure. Thanks. There you have it. Hope you enjoyed that special episode, the re- re- post replay of this uh, this discussion with Doran Frankel. Uh, yeah, what really stands out, so the, being the operating system for EV charging infrastructure, all that goes into successfully deploying this charging infrastructure is, deserves a lot of attention. Very challenging. Also, if done well, this is a huge enabler for decarbonization. So fun discussion. I'm glad this came up as one of the most uh, most popular episodes of the year. Excited. we got the top two coming in the next two weeks. Definitely uh, listen up. I think that'll, that'll be fun. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast brought to you by Edison Manufacturing and Engineering. If you have a need for a trusted manufacturing partner for low volumes of highly complex products, then please visit us at edison-mfg.com or feel free to shoot me a note directly at brandon.bartnick at edison-mfg.com or visit my LinkedIn page, Brandon Bartnick. Edison specializes in build and assembly of highly complex products in annual volumes of ten to tens of thousands, utilizing an agile and capital light approach. If you're making an impact in the mobility space, we'd love to help. Until next time, thank you for listening to the Future of Mobility podcast.